a black executive perspective. Look, man, they didn't get a chance to play chess. They had to play checkered. Let's talk about it, T. Openly and honestly. There was a lot of smart kids there. A black executive perspective. Now, my story's not unique. There's thousands of professionals of color who have experiences like mine. A black executive perspective. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's a topic that is often avoided. We'll discuss race and how it plays a factor and how we didn't even talk about this topic because we were afraid. A black executive perspective. Queen Bee Syndrome is a term used to describe a workplace phenomenon in which a high-ranking female employee, usually a manager, initiates and excludes her female subordinates, often leading to hostile and uncomfortable work environment. While the term is often used to describe women in positions of power, it can also refer to any situation in which a person in a position of authority abuses their power to harm those beneath them. In this episode, Erica Bennett will help us understand the signs, symptoms, and how to avoid being a victim. Welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast, a safe space where we discuss all matters related to race, especially race in corporate America. I'm your host, your guide, your maestro, your sensei, Tony Tidbit, and I've been in the corporate game for over 30 years, so we're here to break down those barriers address the topic of race in the workplace. So in this episode, women's empowerment and the queen bee syndrome, Erica Bennett will help us understand the queen bee syndrome regarding women who pursue individual success in a male dominating work setting by adjusting to a masculine culture and distancing themselves from other women, usually their junior counterparts. And listen, at the end of the day, we all know women in leadership positions almost always struggle to get to where they are. And one would assume that they would naturally support other women in the same quest. However, in many corporate environments, female leaders can intentionally and unintentionally make it more difficult for their female colleagues to achieve the same heights. And for the female black executive, there exists even fewer opportunities for advancement and leadership. So how do the two experience relate? How do they differ? How can women advocate for themselves in face of sexism from men and women? Erica Bennett, welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast. Thank you. And thank you for that wonderful intro. You know, Erica has been up since six o'clock in the morning working on a new launch that they're doing. So, and she's in LA, so she's already had a long day. So again, we're very appreciative of you being able to join a black executive perspective to talk about a very important topic, right? Um, Women empowerment and the queen bee syndrome. So before we dive into it, tell us a little bit about you, Erica, give us a little bit about your background. Tony, it's such an honor to be here and thank you for having me. And, you know, my days start at, five or six a.m. every day. So, um, you know, my body's sort of used to it. So I appreciate um, you having me on. I I grew up in Seattle, Washington. Okay. <laughs> so um, very kind of interesting background, equal parts, like West Coast hip hop and REI, like camping granola girl. So I did it all. Um, and I think it's just allowed me to appreciate so many different ways to experience our world. So mm. that's sort of me growing up. And as I mentioned, I went to Chicago. I sort of feel like Chicago raised me in a way because okay. I feel like I came into my own and developed my own worldview and my own sense of purpose and mission in college. I had, you know, I was very fortunate to have incredible professors and incredible mm-hmm. peers who have now gone on to do wonderful things who um, all were a part of that growth for me. Um, and then, you know, about a year after graduation from college, I moved to LA and my mission and purpose has always been around representation for our people in media um, that has looked very different. I thought I could do it through the casting office and realize I got to be at the network at the studio or (laughs) to really have like all the power. (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, And I sort of miss being creative. So that sort of sparked 
this whole journey for me of working across many different industries, working with many different brands, but all really in, in service of trying to find ways to um, accurately and authentically represent uh, the Black experience here, um, both in the U.S. and globally. That is awesome. And and that's what we want to dive into today in terms of the accurately and, you know, diving into the black experience. And, and, and again, we can go into this a little bit when we go into the queen bee syndrome, you know, and one of the questions and I'll, I'll get to there shortly. Um, but is the queen bee, is it, is it just for African American people of color? I mean, I, that could probably could be something for any woman in, in terms of leadership. Is that correct? Well, I think you have to think about the very, you know, you, you yourself kind of said it in your intro, the number of women that even can ascend to a specific place in their career is limited um, by many different factors. Uh, gender bias in the workplace, the role of women, you know, in, in culture and in the home and in family. Um, often it is the woman that is making sacrifices, making um, career choices to be, you know, to better support family making and family decision planning. Um, and so when we think about women in general, <laughs> the the path to the C-suite or the path to these executive roles is, is not an easy one. So I, I, I don't think it is something that is... Um, specific to the black community. I think it's something that is much bigger and, and much more focused on when we look at all of the hurdles that women face getting to the top and what women have to do, right? Either we have to make sacrifices to, or delay our family planning, or we may have to show up differently in the workplace. And I think all of those then impact how how we end up interacting and how we relate to other people in the workplace. So right. that's my take. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. And and we're going to dive deeper into that, but I love that answer because, you know, we want to get an understanding, um, but also want to get one final question to you an understanding of you. Like I said, you're very accomplished. Um, you have a mission. You've talked about, you know, real quickly about how Chicago raised you. Um, you've done a lot of things. You've been, um, you know, you've gotten accolades from different organizations or different publications in terms of who you are, the work that you do. You talked a little bit about how, you know, you thought you could be able to have more power in one area, but then you knew that I had to move to this area to, to actually run it, to have the power. So speaking of that, you have a lot of talent. You bring a lot to the table. Well, what is one superpower that you wish that you could have? You know, I don't like to sit in the world of lack. I don't like to think about what I wish I could have or what I wish I would have done. Um, every, you know, I, I believe our life is very much by design and mm -hmm. every place that I am in is a series and a culmination of all the experiences I've experienced along the way. I mean, I wish I was just overall a little bit more organized and better at my calendar, <laughs> but I'm not. But I, you know, I, I'm very grateful for my path and I'm gr very grateful for the many different people who've taken me under their wing and mentored me. And I'm now grateful for the opportunity to take um, work in the intersection of my, my purpose and my passion and what I think I am good at, which is marketing right. <laughs> <laughs> and bring all those worlds together and live in that, um, every single day and, and live in that. So I don't know that there's a superpower I wish I had that I, I don't have, I don't know, turn invisible or, <laughs> but I, I really try to operate in the present um, and I think, I don't know, I'm just so grateful for what I do have. Right. Um, right. And it's, I, I don't think about what I don't have and I don't 
try to, I try not to sit in a place of lack, but really come from a place of abundance. You know what? So that's a great answer. Okay. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, it is about looking at what you're blessed with versus what mm-hmm. you're, what you don't have. Right. And, yeah. and having that mindset of abundance, you attract abundance. So, yeah. And I also think, you know, we just have to accept that we're human beings and that we are naturally evolutionary beings. Mm-hmm. And I, I am very open, very aware of where my blind spots are. And as a leader, I try to fill my team with other leaders who are complementary to me and complementary to each other. And so we all, as one team, fill in the blind spots. They're like a basketball team. You know, if you've got somebody who's a really great long range shooter, you got to have a great rebounder on the other side, right? If you've got somebody who's really skilled at defense, you've got to have someone who's got hustle that can get back down the court for the fast break. So, um, you know, I think it's just really important for leaders to think about um, the ways that you can surround yourself with expertise Mm -hmm. that you don't have. And and in that way, again, it's not lack. It is um, understanding your blind spots, understanding where you might have expertise coming into the team that is just frankly better. And I think good Mm -hmm. leaders know that and they build teams that way and it creates pathways for other people to grow into their roles. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, listen, we we kind of gotten into it a little bit. So (laughs) I love it. I mean, I love the warm up into, you know, going right into the episode. So Erica, are you ready to have this conversation? I'm ready to have it. Okay. (laughs) Let's talk about it, my girl. Let's talk about it. So, you know, one of the things I always want to do, because obviously there's terms that, you know, it's like when you go to a company and everybody talks in acronyms, you know, we got to get the A, B, blues, you know, blues together. And you're like, what are they talking about? Right. So here I always want to make sure that the audience follows along and understands. So can you just can you define what is, what is the Queen B, Queen B syndrome? What does that mean? Well, it's a term that's been given to um women in senior positions um, in any respective field um, who uh, may themselves or uh, push forward in the organization, um, you know, gender bias um, or may kind of want to hoard all the the power for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, It's usually someone who's experienced quite a bit of success Um, in their career. And it's typically used to describe women who are really trying to defend that position. Mm -hmm. Um, So what that could look like is um, sort of, um, you know, holding back other people. Um, Those are some of the behaviors that are typically associated with with a queen bee syndrome. So, so, and again, uh, you know, why would somebody do that? So no, and let's just back up a little bit because you, a few minutes ago, you said, Tony, all the things that women have to go through to get to where they want, get to where they want to to be accomplished, right? They give up their families. They have to deal with, you know, being one of the only few from a gender standpoint, they have to deal with, you know, the stereotypes that people have already labeled on them, you know, and we can keep going on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And then they finally get there. And then all of a sudden they're playing, and I'm going to use your basketball analogy. They're playing, you know, they're, they're passing a ball around the, the perimeter of the, uh, of the court and they're not really trying to help anybody else score. So especially yeah. knowing that they went through all that, why would they have this type of mindset? Some people, you know, it's as a woman, it's hard. Um, you know, you oftentimes have to show up and be, even more persistent, even more like there's so much bias around, around who women and who, who we, how we should show up in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can't be this way or we're angry. We can't be this way or we're this. And so I'm not defending queen bee syndrome, but I am. And I think it's important that we all acknowledge the difficulty with which women in particular and in particular black women have to show up in role just to get, get halfway to where their male counterparts are. 
Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. to show up strong and convicted and we have to be researched and we have to, you know, be buttoned up and zipped up in how we present strategy and we have to be prepared to defend it. And, and so I, I think that a lot of times what happens is there's probably a subset of women who just don't, who lack the self-awareness to even understand that they're just doing what they've always done to get to the level that they've done. So, and then there's probably a subset where it's maybe a little bit more intentional and that comes with um, deep-rooted insecurity because women have consistently throughout history and throughout our lives been told these are the spaces that you are equipped to occupy and these are the spaces that you're not equipped to occupy. And right. so there's probably a mix of both, but I think it really stems from having to fight every day just to get the foot in the door, just to be in the room, to be heard, to be, um, for your voice to be understood for, um, for you to be respected in the same way as your male counterparts. So, and, and so where I struggle is that, and let me tell you a quick little story. Sure. So in which is, is, is a different dynamic as being a male black versus being a female black. Right. So I recognize, even though, you know, the doors that I, it wasn't a lot of doors open, a lot of places, the majority of places, I was the only black person, especially as I got up into leadership positions. Okay. So, and I understand women, you know, even if you look at the, the, the pay equity, you know, males make more money than women. Right. And, and, and I don't, my wife, she works, but at the end of the day, you know, she, you know, my mindset is totally different than her mindset when it comes to our kids and stuff to that nature in terms of her having a career. So there's, it's not apples versus apples. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, however, I remember, and I'm just going to give you, you, you know, my little story here. I remember being in an organization. Again, I'm in advertising sales. You know, I've been to VP level. I, I didn't see a lot of people look like me. Okay. And I remember going to this event. No, I, I take it back. I remember this company was trying to recruit me to come over. And when I came over and I met with the chief revenue officer, um, there was a, a, another black guy. All right. And he was a VP there. Right. And, you know, and obviously, you know how it goes, right. When you go where and they're, they're like, yeah, Joe works here too. <laughs> so in other words, it's like, isn't we got, we got a black VP too. <laughs> All right. That, you know, so, but whatever, 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 whatever. Right. So I, I, I saw, I waved that he waved at me, but then I saw the guy at some event and I saw him. And again, there wasn't a lot of other people of color there. So I went up to him to have a conversation and he was really standoffish. He mm-hmm. was like, you know, he had a force field around him. Like he really didn't want to talk to me. And, but he was chatting with everybody else, but he didn't, and I'm not talking to people of color, he's talking to other, but he, he didn't really want to like warm up to me. And I really, I really, I mean, it was, I was shocked at that because in my position, I've always tried to help other people, you know, either break into the industry, move up in the industry, provide counsel to them in terms of how to navigate the industry of corporate America. So I, I, I've seen that. Um, on, from a male standpoint. So, so where I struggle is, is when I, I, I get it that women have to go through a lot. However, knowing that you went through a lot and let's just back up because you just said something you said earlier about how, you know, your blind spots, but your thing is about helping your team be able to play, helping them become leaders. You fought through, a, you, you had to bust down a lot of doors. You had to deal with a bunch of, so why are you more open to saying, hey, I'm going to bring people along versus somebody else who's like, nah, work, you know, figure it out yourself. Yeah. I mean, one, I've, I've seen the value in it. I, I, I've seen the value in it. Um, but two, um, I've done the work. I think that um, I always tell my team I work for them and not the other way around. So that sort of servant leadership is really critical. I think a lot of times people are giving these positions of power and they're not taught how to like actually be a good boss, actually be a good coach and actually be a good mentor. And I think there is something so 
deep-seated and deep-rooted in terms of our own sense of self-worth, our own sense of value, value and purpose. And a lot of people just haven't done the work. They have not done the work on themselves. And so what you have are deeply insecure people, right, who've been told their entire life, you're not supposed to be here. We're going to make it so hard to get here. And then when they get into these positions of power, um, it, it, it becomes their undoing in a way because all of their insecurities just come flowing out. Um, I, I, I need to be at the top. I'm threatened by anyone else who might seem like they could take my position at any point in time. Um, that just comes from just such a deep place of insecurity. And it's a place that I've just done the work on. I don't have it before, you know, I have my own insecurities, but with respect to team and bringing people along and allowing people to shine, it's, um, I have the mindset that I work for them anyway. <laughs> so, so it allows me to, it allows me to approach it just differently. It really does. So how much of this is a character flaw? So in other words, that, you know, people who are in leadership positions, right? At the end of the day, they're really out for themselves. They've never, they're, they're, they've never been a team-oriented individual versus people who are team-oriented individuals. No matter what position that they get, they're always going to be focused on the teams. So do you see, couldn't this be just, yeah. I, I, and I don't want to say it's only a character flaw, but could you see this being part of a character flaw? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. It can be a part of a character flaw. Listen, my approach to leadership is very different. And a lot of times people mistake my kindness for weakness. And so they try to exploit that and take advantage of that. So I, I realize that there are other consequences that come along with being principled in my approach to leadership and to bringing people along in their career journeys. Right. And, um, so it absolutely is a character. It can be a character, flaw character flaw. on the other side of that. Right. And it, it's, you know, we really have to start to examine what are the triggers? What are the inputs that are driving the insecurity that allow us to treat others the way that we treat them when we get to positions of power? And I, I had to do it myself early on in my career. I was a first time VP and I had this team and it came from a really good place, but I was a hard boss. I was tough. Mm -hmm. It came because I wanted, I wanted this team to just be looked at and seen as the best, but the real underlying insecurity was I didn't want the department to fail. Mm -hmm. And once I got, once I understood that, that that was about my own insecurity around failure, as opposed to, you know, um, you know, wanting to set everybody up for success as I articulated. Mm -hmm. It allowed me to show up in a different and more human way in the workplace. Yep. And I learned it later. I mean, I was tough for a couple of years. It was really hard to work for me. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say but, tough, like, what do you mean? Give me some examples well, I of just, tough. You know, I was just really tough in terms of like, I wasn't mean or disrespectful or any mm -hmm. of that. So it wasn't, it wasn't a disrespect thing, but um, I didn't create enough room for failure and growth mm. and learning through failure. Mm. Um, I wanted us to just get it right. And, and, and so I put in a lot of fail safes so that we got it right. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? And mm -hmm. so that the business wouldn't, the pipeline wouldn't go away and so that we get right. hired for more jobs and so that we wouldn't just be competing with other black agencies. We'd actually be, be competing with every agency. Right, right. And we right. did. We accomplished all of that. And I'm so proud of that. The what is incredible. The how we got there for the first year or two was intense. And guess what? It drained me. It exhausted me as a leader. It, it and when you say it exhausted you as a leader, like, what do you mean by exhausted you as a leader? It exhausted me to, to constantly be like, 
maniacal about every little word mm-hmm. and comma and period right. and ha- every little you know detail when in reality I had a superstar all-star team and I should have just been really confident in the work that they could do. Right. And so you know, a couple years into the role, I really started to understand that concept. And again, it came down to me doing my own work, my own self-discovery to realize, oh, I have a deep-seated fear of failing, failing this team, failing the company and failing myself. And that I need to address because we're not failing. We're doing very well financially and, you know, we're doing very well in the industry. And once I sort of let go of that, there was more freedom for people and we flourished more because this person had a great idea and we weren't picking it apart. We were adding to it to make it better. This person was really good and really tapped into social media. And even though they were a junior coordinator, I'm going to let them run with this because they can add value in ways that no other agency could. So as soon as I started to kind of shed the fears of failure and really embrace the um, embrace the abundance that could come from giving people the freedom to just do what they do. Mm-hmm. And if we fail along the way, we fail along the way, we, we learn, we pick ourselves back up and we keep going. So do you think we this never was, broke it? So. <laughs> so do you think this was just something that you discovered or do you, or you went through, or do you think this is something that the majority of people in a leadership position at a certain level go, goes through? I think, I think a lot of, a lot of people at a certain level, especially when you get in the C-suite, I'm here. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, mm-hmm. very high expectation and a lot that the team, my team and that I have to deliver as part of an executive team, right? I'm mm-hmm. responsible for ensuring that the, that a brand that has been around for 50 years that I adore <laughs> and other brands that have now come into the family that they succeed. So it's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. And I think um, some people don't ever learn that um, until they get to the higher levels. And that's when you have dynamics that are that are like what we have dubbed the queen bee syndrome. Yeah. I, I, so number one, thank you for sharing that. Number two, I can, I'm, and I'm pretty sure my audience, a lot of people in the audience would, is, it would relate to what you said, especially if they've been in leadership positions, because to be honest, Erica, I did the exact same thing when I first got into leadership position, right? It was about my fear of failure. It was about, I, and, and it was more, I'm, and I didn't think this way at the time, but I knew it was part of the motivation. I'm the only black leader here. I never said that. I never, you know, but I know, it, it, you know, from a, a unconscious standpoint, it was part of the motivation, right? So I can't fail, right? And so what did I do? I micromanage. I don't want to say micromanage, but I didn't let my team fail, okay? And so I held their hands all the way through. And then to be fair, so, but to your point, there was an awakening. There was a reflection when I was like, you know what? They're smart. They're talented. Let them just do their thing and just trust them. And then when I was able to do that, that's when not only did we continue to grow, but they grew and then they became VPs or whatever the case may be. Right. So, so number one, I thank you for sharing that, but that's the point I want to get to is, is part of that because there's not a lot of few, there's not a lot of black female CMOs. Okay. So is that the added pressure that you dealt with when you, when you're working with your team? Yeah. I mean, we were, we were an all black team when I was, when I first became a VP, we were all black and yeah, there was so much of our racial identity was wrapped up into it. Right. Like, and a lot of it was me really playing to bias. It was, um, well, they don't, they don't understand the power of the black dollar, which is very true. <laughs> they expect us to operate in a certain way because we are an all black team. They expect for these things. And so I was really trying to demonstrate that you could have an all black team that was going to over deliver every time that was going to just kill it. 
um, that was just as good or better as any agency, not just the mm-hmm. black agencies. Like mm-hmm. those were the narratives I was trying to overcome. And I, I said, I, because that was the first time I was really fully operating in my professional and personal mission, I had a high desire to make sure that the industry understood um, the importance and weight of the audience and that they Mm -hmm. respected it and that they honored it and that the work I did was a forcing function for that respect and for that honor. So, um, yeah, I felt like very heavy on my shoulder. You're carrying a lot of stuff. Yeah, I still feel that way, but time and experience has taught me that there are many different paths to the same outcome and that, you know, I still got to let my team grow and learn, even though there's, there's, you know, pretty, pretty high stakes there. So based on, and and again, thanks for sharing that because that is a lot to carry. Okay. That's a, a lot to carry. And you talked about the different thoughts that, uh, you know, this is a black team. So, you know, the different, narratives that people probably were thinking or, you know, different stereotypes that were probably because it is an all black team. So that's a lot to deal with. Okay. So it's it's interesting, right? Sometimes you work in an area where you're the only black person, (laughs) then you work in an area where you work and you're the black team. (laughs) Okay. And it carries so many different weights and thoughts. It's just amazing. Right. So what would you recommend for the ladies that's out there that let's be fair, they work their butt off. Let's just go back to what we talked about in the beginning. They deal with a lot. They, 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 you know, overcame a lot to get to their position. How would you help them understand? How would you help them not fall into the queen bee syndrome and be more of about the entire team and help other women be able to pull themselves up? I think you have to go inward. First, you know, I think um, that's what I ultimately had to do was go inward. And when you say go inward, we're like, what do you mean? Go inward. I mean, self-examine, self, mm. do the self-work, do the do the the work internally to understand what are my fears, what are my biases, you know. What am I solving for as an individual mm-hmm. so that you can show up as your best self? Um, I don't think I would have gotten to a place where how I operate now if I didn't go inward and understand, okay, this is about your fear of failure. Or this is about you carrying more on your shoulders than you actually need to. That's more this is an industry issue and you don't need to take the whole entertainment industry and put it on your back and march it down the road that through consistent, meaningful work across a variety of different entertainment properties and projects, you can actually show that iteratively versus let's just try to take on the whole project, the whole problem all at once. So it was a lot of like self-work and self-reflection. And then it's continued self-awareness as I ascend. Um, I'm constantly checking for biases and I'm not perfect. I still have them. I'm constantly checking for my insecurities. I'm still have them. I'm not perfect. But I think if you understand, like I said, to be human is to be evolutionary. Um, so that's the first step is to go inward. And the second, the second step is to leave room for failure. And you've got to just be comfortable with falling down a million times and be just as comfortable with getting up a million and one times. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And until I learned how to sit in the discomfort of failure and sit in the discomfort of ambiguity and all that comes with what I perceive as failure, um, it, I, I couldn't understand how to not allow that to be the, the guiding light that, bring, mm-hmm. that, you know, that drives mm-hmm. me every day right. towards success. And the third thing is I think you have to reframe your definition of failure. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it truly a failure if this doesn't happen? 
So really getting crisp on what failure even looks like. Right, right. Because I had such high standards. I still do for myself that like, if I delivered a document and just was like, did not have the right I dotted or T crossed that I was like, guys, what are we doing? What are we even doing? Do you know so, what I mean? So no, I, I, I know what you mean. Okay, failure might be we didn't hit this number or whatever, but is it really this thing over here that's probably not a failure? <laughs> so, you know, again, I would say um, going inward. Right. I would say um, being uncomfortable, sitting in that discomfort of failure, and the third. Right. Being leaving, even leaving room and reframing what, what the definition like. of failure could be is would 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 um, the makeup of your team, in terms of you coaching them and getting the best out of them, and they become a players in the organization, is that a success? Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, right? I did an interview once and they asked me like, what is your biggest success? Everything you've done. And I was like, looking around the industry and seeing people who started out as like interns and junior coordinators who are now running multi-million dollar film campaigns or who are now running whole comms departments or who are now, um, who have stepped out into the world of entrepreneurship Mm-hmm. All of that is is um, it, it's it off your tree, right? Blows it's, my it, mind, and I don't, you know, I like, don't want to take credit and take credit, but um, no, it's, but it's, it's off just your incredible, tree. yeah, right. It's so if incredible. you help other individuals, that's the point here, right? If you yeah. help other individuals, individuals grow, and they become leaders, right? That's a success as well, right? Isn't your bosses or the company looking? I always taught my team this. It's like, look, at the end of the day, it's it's not that I'm I'm gonna help build your brand. So I'm gonna not just keep you under my thumb. I'm gonna tell everybody how great you are. But here's the kicker: you need to also build your brand because Mm -hmm. this is when I know you're building your brand. Is when I say something about you, Gab, and somebody says, Oh, Gab, she's awesome. <laughs> or Tony, your team is great. You know, everybody in your team, you see my point here? That's a success as well. Right. So I think that's where we want to get everyone in terms of empowering and helping other individuals take it to the next level. Well, and we don't often place enough value on that, right? Like I think we think of success as did we hit our revenue numbers? Did we hit this? Did we hit that? One of the more interesting barometers of success or KPIs, I was interviewing for a role and I asked them like, you know, what's your kind of goal on the people side? And they said, I want to get that phone call from when the person leaves my company and goes to the next job and the boss at the next job calls me and goes, wow, this person is an absolute star. Because the reality is we're not all going to stay stay in the same place forever. You know, no, um, no. our interests change, our needs in terms of professional development change. So how, how then can we think about um, getting people ready for the next thing? And, and speaking what does that, of that look like? And speaking of that, how, how so your love, because obviously you, you've had a lot of different roles at different organizations. So how can an organization get more women um, in leadership positions? How can they cultivate and train, especially women of color, different backgrounds? Um, so there, there's less of a queen bee syndrome, and it's more about putting more people or more women in positions that they can be able to fly and grow themselves. Yeah, I mean, I've been really fortunate. Um, worked under some pretty dynamic women and black women I work under, I work with dynamic black women every day. So I'm very fortunate. I think that, um, you know, I go back to what I said earlier about why I think that behavior may show up 
mm-hmm. um, among women or among women of color. And it, I, I truly believe that a lot of it has to do with the way that women have to fight. And so removing some of those obstacles and biases, right? You know, you talked about how can we coach women? I was just as qualified, if not more than a lot of my male counterparts Mm -hmm. and was not given the same opportunity. So it wasn't a coaching issue. It was, it was an access issue. It was a sponsorship issue. So when you say access sponsorship issue, be a little bit more specific. Like, what do you mean? Meeting someone in the room going, we should, we should give Erica this opportunity. Somebody talking on your behalf. We should. Yeah. Or someone kind of working to co-conspire in the same way that men get these opportunities. So I think clear the path. Women are qualified. Yes, sure, coaching, but also acknowledging when they are qualified, putting them up for the role and not making it so difficult to get into these positions is critical. Right. And then, of course, there's work that needs to be done on the individual. But I think when you have a group of people who've been conditioned over time to to believe a certain thing about themselves, they are fighting again. They are fighting an internal battle of their own insecurities. And and you know what? That is an excellent point. And 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 that's the the thing that's not spoken about a lot, right? Right. Is when you show up, you already have a bunch of baggage that you have to deal with. All right. So excellent. Excellent thought there. So we talked about superpowers earlier and you said, Hey, yeah. you know what? I really, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm blessed. And I, you know, it's all about abundance. <laughs> Not <laughs> the answer you wanted to hear. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's all good. But I'm, I'm going to go right back to that a little bit. Right. So yeah. for my audience, who's listening to a black executive perspective, the female, the lady who is bringing everything to the table, they, they're playing chess, not checkers. They're working hard. They're, they're, they're building their brand within the organization. Um, they aspire to be where uh, Erica Bennett is. They want to be CMO or CEO, CRO, whatever, or run their own business, whatever the case may be. What, what three or four bullets would you give them? Knowing, all, knowing there's a bunch of tank traps knowing there's a bunch oh, yeah, of stuff yeah, yeah. that they're going to have to overcome. There's going to be traps everywhere. <laughs> there's going to be a million traps, right? There's going to be a million <laughs> traps. <laughs> All right. We know yeah. that. <laughs> they know that. So yeah. how, how can they navigate? We give them some, some feedback, some background, four or five sure. bullets in terms of how they could do that. I think, first of all, um, like kind of surrendering to the process. I spent years, years, even in more recent roles, be like, what am I doing? what is happening? And now at the role I sit in where I've got to understand, I'm probably a rare CMO because I've done almost every job in my department, but I've got to not only understand what everyone does, but then figure out how all of that moves our business and company objectives forward. Um, So the years I spent like, huh, how did I end up in social of all places? <laughs> and now social is a critical part of our business. We're a publisher. Well, Essence is a publisher. Um, right. So so they need to I be a student of the business, understand the process. surrender pro- to the process. Surrender to the process. This right? doesn't mean you throw intentionality out the window, but I think it means you can um, understand where you want to get and it's okay to kind of take a windy road to get there. It's not always linear. A really great mentor of mine said, you should be thinking of your career like a suitcase. So if you're a CMO, what are the things in each pocket and in each part of the compartment of the suitcase do you need in order to tell a story? So I maybe like three years ago started reading the job description of a CMO And I'm like, oh, and I highlighted, okay, well, I'm not quite there yet on this. I'm not quite there on this. I'm not quite there on this. And I 
basically turn that into my learning agenda at these companies. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I, I need more experience running a budget of this size. What, what could that look like to do that? And really partnering with my managers and leaders to say, Hey, I want to, I want to step up and own that. Mm. Um, so say, tell them what you want, be straight yeah. up, let them know where you want to go. Yeah. And and uh, you don't have to say, I'm trying to be the CMO one day. I'm trying to have your job. But what you could say is, <laughs> here are some things I'm really interested. Here are some skill sets I'm really interested in building out. And this is where I need your support. And the good managers, like, you know, you could use your review. You could use your one-on-ones. But the good managers really appreciate that you're thinking about your own career and taking it into your hands and coming to them with a roadmap and a plan. Hey, that Mm. project that I heard about in the staff meeting. Yeah. Remember when we talked about like, I'm really, I think I can do that. And here's how that connects. So I think surrendering to the process, being super open under and, but being intentional, right. Understanding what skill sets you need and treating you know, every job, every role, having a learning agenda and having mm-hmm. sort of like, these are the things I want to accomplish and get out of it. I still have a learning agenda in my CMO role. Um, we're not, I'm never done learning. And I have a list of all the things that I want to accomplish that I made when I joined. And, mm-hmm. you know, scratching those off slowly but surely. Um, and then I think, um, understanding when it's time to go and understanding when you're just really uncomfortable. That is, I, so can you just spend a couple minutes on that real quick? Yeah, because I yeah. think that's where the majority of us fail. All right. Uh-huh. Not knowing when it's time to cut out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I also think under, you got to know the difference between the two, because there have been times where I've probably cut out and I should have stayed. And there are mm-hmm. times where, oh, I stayed way too long. Right. And neither of those are good. Right. So again, having that roadmap, having that agenda, being very intentional about what you want to give to the organization, what you want to get out of the organization before you leave helps you understand it's time to go. I've been in, I've had jobs where I was in role for one year and I was like, you know what? I got what I needed. I'm out. Mm. And it was intentional and purposeful. And it was, and I had it clear. So when I'm talking to these recruiters, there's a narrative there. It's mm. not just like I peeled out because I hated it. You know, Um, and then there are roles, there are companies where I switched roles after two years. So, you know, my time at YouTube is a great example of that. I got really great experience there. I mean, marketing strategy, no one does it like YouTube. Mm. So it's very, very um, impactful for me. I spent two years on social and then, you know, our business priorities shifted and it was time for me to move into something else in this role working with communities and creators was like a huge passion point for me. Right. And so I think, I think you have to just know. And then at a certain point I was like, okay, where else can I go? Nowhere else to go. Maybe time to peel out. And I went back to my list and I'm like, look at all the things, Mm -hmm. launches, successful shows for YouTube, business impact, marketing impact, personal brand impact. Okay. This might be a good time. Awesome. You know, um, I really appreciate you sharing because at the end of the day, there's somebody, I know this for a fact. I know this for a fact. I don't know their names. I don't know what part of the country that they're in. I don't know what they do for a job. They may be in high school or they could be, you know, 50 years old looking for something else or, you know, looking for a change or a bump in their career. Somebody's going to hear what you said and they're going to put it in action and they're going to make it happen. And you know why? Because they see you and they know, hey, there's somebody out there who's gotten to where I want to go and they look like me. It's not going to be easy. A lot of tank traps, a lot of stuff along the way. Right. But I see Erica. She seems she talked about helping and empowering her team. I don't have to be the queen bee syndrome. You know, I can be able to, you know, understand the process throughout the company, be able to intentionally let people know where I want to go. I love the suitcase analogy, right? What pieces are missing? (laughs) 
what what do I need to put in this pocket right here to make sure I have a full suitcase? And then I love the last thing you said, you know, understanding when it's time to move on or making sure you're not leaving too early um, because there may be still things that you have to to, to do to, to get to where you want to go. Yeah, what so, better go, way to learn than on someone's time? That was dying. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, it's so true, right? Um, final yeah. thoughts, Erica. Final thoughts. Um, I think getting clear early about the type of leader you want to be and staying unwavering in that is critical. And I think then that allows you to show up in the best way possible. It allows you to support people's career, their career aspirations. Um, it helps with your own. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's the most important thing is just going within and figure out who you want to be and how you want to show up in the world and then actually do that. <laughs> okay. Well, number one, we really appreciate you today. You provided us a lot of value, a lot of thoughts. And obviously it's been a long day for you. So really appreciate, I know, and you got to go back, you know, you, you got stuff you still got to do. So Erica Bennett, love you a lot. Thanks a lot. Wishing you nothing but mad success. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you really enjoyed, as I did, uh, a Black a black Executive Perspective podcast episode, Women's Empowerment and the Queen Bee Syndrome. So our tidbit today is, and it's from Stephanie Courtlier, founder of Igorous Women. And Stephanie said, I've always subscribed to the belief that the best leader is not the one who has the most followers, but the one who creates the most leaders. I strive every day to create a more conscious, confident, and soulful leaders who in return will build a better world for us all. And that's by Stephanie Cawthor. So I hope you enjoyed this session of women's empowerment and the queen bee syndrome. Please leave us some feedback. Let us know that you really like us. This was horrible. Tony, you know, you should have just let her talk by herself, right? Give us all type of feedback, right? What's some of the things that you learned today? What questions do you still have, right? What's some solutions that you may uh, have in terms of the Queen Bee Syndrome and women's empowerment? So please provide us your thoughts and feedback at a blackexecutiveperspective.com. And then what we'll do on our next episode, we'll go through that feedback, answer your questions, and eventually we're going to have you come on and join me here as a guest on a blackexecutiveperspective.com. So just recognize you can always find a Black Executive Perspective podcast wherever you get your podcast. Come back and join us and let's talk about it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Tony Tidbit, a Black Executive Perspective, and for joining in today's conversation. With every story we share, every conversation we foster, and every barrier we address, we can ignite the sparks that bring about lasting change. And this carries us one step closer to transforming the face of corporate America. If today's episode resonated with you, consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share this episode with your circle, and with your support, we can reach more people and tell more stories.